Welcome back to Making Sense of Money, a podcast dedicated to taking tough financial topics and making them a little bit easier to understand. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Andrea Pellegrini, and I am one of your hosts. And I'm Nikki Jankola Shanks, another one of your hosts. Last episode, in honor of International Fraud Awareness Week, we highlighted specific fraud and scams taking place in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. So make sure you check out that episode episode so you know what to look out for. And I'm Jake Hamilton. On this episode, we're going to talk about predatory lending with a specific focus on mortgage predatory lending. We're lucky today to be joined by a special guest this week, Katie Lewis, a colleague of Nikki and I at IDFPR, Division of Banking. Uh, she is the director of the Anti-Predatory Lending Database and Investigations. Uh, don't worry, she'll be explaining uh, a lot more about what all that means, but Welcome, Katie. I also want to say welcome, Katie, and I'm very excited to listen to you today because predatory lending is something that makes me very upset, and he having a hero like you on to address what that means is very important. Can you start off by introducing yourself to our listeners? Yes, um, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Katie Liss, and I joined IDFPR Division of Banking in March of this year as the director of the Anti-Predatory Lending Database and Investigations. We generally just refer to the Anti-Predatory Lending Database as the APLD because it's a lot easier to say. Um, and we'll talk more about what it means later. But basically, the goal is to eliminate predatory mortgage lending practices by increasing the borrower's understanding of the loans that they're agreeing to. And then ultimately, you know, the goal is to reduce the number of unnecessary foreclosures. Um, but prior to joining IDFPR, I spent about 11 years as a legal aid attorney, uh, focusing largely on consumer protection issues. And in my last role, I spent a lot of time defending foreclosures and sometimes negotiating loan modifications to get people out of predatory mortgage loans. So I'm excited about the work that the APLD and IDFPR is doing because it's, it's seeking to stop the problem at the, at the front end instead of once people end up in foreclosure. Let's start off by talking about what predatory lending is. I feel like it's a term that people often hear, but may not actually know what that means or what it entails. Sure. So the definition of predatory lending is really any type of abusive or dishonest lending practice where the lender takes advantage of the borrower. So it generally involves high cost loans that the borrower cannot really afford to pay and the lender often has the incentive to, to give those loans based on the borrower's assets, such as their home, um, rather than the borrower's you know, actual ab ability to, to pay off the debt. So my understanding is that there's many different types of predatory lending. Um, could you tell us uh, what some of the different types are? Sure. So payday loans are, are one example of predatory lending, um, where generally a, a small amount of money or relatively small amount is lent with very high interest. And the, the idea behind it is that the borrower will be able to pay the money back quickly with their next paycheck. Uh, but too often, you know, the interest is just way too much for the borrower to be able to pay back. And then the borrower is left with no option but to sort of refinance it into another payday loan. And it creates this sort of endless cycle. Um, title loans are another example uh, that's similar to payday loans, except in this case, the borrower gives the lender title to his or her car. So if the interest is too high for the, for the borrower to be able to pay off the loan, then the borrower is at risk of, of losing their car. And then mortgages can also be predatory if they have certain high cost features. 
So for the purposes of this particular podcast and your expertise, Katie, we're going to focus more on the mortgage predatory lending, since that's your specialty, obviously. Can you explain what mortgage predatory lending is for our listeners? Sure. So to me, predatory mortgages are especially concerning because the borrower could lose lose their home because of them. Um, and the home is, is such an important asset, not just because it provides shelter, but it's so important to building wealth and getting people out of poverty. Um, you know, people can borrow against their homes to send their kids to college, you know, if they have an emergency, um, all, all different kinds of reasons. It's just such an important uh, piece of, of generating wealth and even, you know, within one family from one, one generation to the next. Um, so it's especially devastating for someone's home to be taken advantage of by a predatory lender. And mortgages can be predatory in a variety of different ways. Um, some may have adjust, adjustable rates um, and the, the borrowers may not you know, understand how much the rates are gonna adjust and how much their payments are going to change. There could be interest only payments or there could be hidden upfront costs or fees. So I know you've just talked a little bit about this, but my guess is that there are a lot of tactics that these lenders who try to sell these predatory mortgages have. So can you give our listeners some examples of what predatory lending actually looks like when dealing with mortgages? Sure. So one obviously obvious way is that the costs and fees of, of a mortgage could be inflated. It could include origination fees or, or closing costs or other costs whether those are paid up front at closing or they could be rolled into the mortgage. Um, it's, it's just important to pay attention to what kinds of fees and, and costs you're actually paying. And then adjustable rates. I'm not saying you know, that all adjustable rate mortgages are, are necessarily bad, um, but with an adjustable rate mortgage, it's very difficult to understand you know, how the rates are going to change. It depends on different indexes and then there's different caps depending on the different indexes. And so, with the consumer just not having as much ability to understand what their payments are going to look like, they're, they're really more at the mercy of, of the lender to explain it to them. And I think that's where they, they really could fall in a spot where they could be taken advantage of. For example, I remember you know, having legal aid clients who would end up in foreclosure um, with adjustable rate mortgages. And you know, I remember one specific client who had been in foreclosure multiple times um, and was always able to get back on track and get out of foreclosure but there was one time that she was in foreclosure and the lender was not even able to explain to us what the monthly payment was um, because it can be that difficult to, to figure out the, you know, the changing rates and, and how that affects the monthly payments that it's, it's confusing even for the lenders. So, and I, I just to interrupt you for a second, as I, I know there, there's other things you wanna address, but with the adjustable rate mortgages, so just so the listeners understand, that means that month to month, the rate can literally be changing. So you never know how much your actual mortgage payment is, correct? It's generally not month to month. There are certain time okay. periods that are defined in the mortgage mortgage where it will change. Um, some adjustable rate mortgages, you know, will not change for five years or seven years, but then there's, there's some that will change as soon as three years, and then they could change every year after that. And so keeping, uh, you know, keeping track of when the rate can change and how much it, it's going to change by or could change by can just be really confusing. I and Katie, I had a, oh. <laughs> we all have questions. We all have questions. <laughs> Go ahead, Jake. Okay, so maybe Katie, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but with these adjustable rates, is it like often the case that 
when they go to sign up for the mortgage, they might see a pretty low rate and then it gets higher as they start making payments. Exactly. You, um, with an adjustable rate mortgage, you can often get a lower interest rate up front than you would be able to get with a fixed rate mortgage. And so um, that's why they might not all necessarily be bad, um, but you just need to be aware of, you know, how much they could potentially change and be prepared for that and, and plan for that. Um, and that, you know, if the interest rates in general go down, you know, your adjustable rate could end up going down as well. But it's hard to predict what's going to happen with the markets, especially over the term of, you know, a 20, 30 year loan um, that you just have to plan for the, the rate potentially going up. Gotcha. Thank you. And I was just going to ask if adjustable rate mortgages have to have a truth in lending statement and how that would be calculated when the consumer goes to sign it, if it's that adjustable. <laughs> There is an adjustable rate rider that needs to be signed that informs the uh, consumer that it is an adjustable rate. And that rider will tell you when uh, the rate will adjust. And you know, it, it kind of defines how much it's gonna adjust by, but it, it still is confusing. It's not, it's not black and white. Well, none of the forms when you <laughs> sign, <laughs> when you go into your closing are super easy to understand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it is, I mean, that is definitely something to watch out for. You know, if you're wondering if, if, if you're agreeing to an adjustable rate mortgage, look for the disclosure that they give you about it. You know, it will tell you how soon the rate will adjust and give you, you know, at least some idea. Um, and I'm not sure how, my question about truth and lending statements, I'm not sure how many consumers actually look at that, but it, it does give you a good idea of how much the global cost of a normal mortgage would be with the capitalization of interest and, and how it's amortized. But if everything is adjustable, that truth and lending statement wouldn't be, as you say, black and white. It wouldn't mm -hmm. necessarily, yeah. Right. And normally with a fixed rate loan, you can, you can get the amortization schedule and look at it and see exactly how each of your payments is going to be played out. And you, you, know, you can even, there's all amortization calculators where you can calculate that online, mm -hmm. uh, but with an adjustable rate, it's, it's just unpredictable and there's, there's, it's, it's not as easy to see how your payments are going to play out. Definitely not the easiest financial adventure to go on. Definitely, yeah, definitely not. Um, and like I said, with, with the confusion behind it, there's just more opportunity for you to be taken advantage of by a lender. Absolutely. So you have to be careful. Um, another type of predatory loan is an interest-only loan, um, which is where one or more payments are only paying the interest of the loan and they're not actually paying down the balance. There are some interest only loans where the, the payments are only paying interest for as much as five or 10 years. So you could be paying your mortgage and pay on time every single month for a decade and still not see your principal balance go down at all. And I remember seeing you know, legal aid clients with that problem too, and they would call us, you know, at the end of their their mortgage once they ended up in foreclosure and they would say why were my payments not credited you know i made all or almost all of my payments on time and the problem was that they didn't realize at the front end that the, they were agreeing to an interest only mortgage where even if they made their payments they were really just paying interest for you know 10 years of their loan and for for our listeners that may not be familiar with how um, payments are made even on traditional loans most of your payments at the beginning of your, your term of your loan go towards interest, but at least some typically goes towards the balance of 
the loan, the principal balance of the loan. Yeah, right. and I would just say too, I know we often have a lot of college listeners. Uh, this can happen with student loans as well. Not, not that like the entirety of your payment goes to interest, but I think in some cases, uh, those with student loans see the majority of their payments going to interest, especially early on and while they're repaying the loan and they don't see the balance go down a lot. I, I can speak from personal experience on that one. Yeah, yeah, it can be really frustrating when you start paying your loan and you see the interest, you know, the, or you see the balance go down like $10 in a month or, or something like that. But, it, you know, if you look at um, the amortization schedule or like I said, there's calculators online where you can calculate it yourself, you'll, you'll see that, you know, the more months that you pay, a larger and larger portion will be going towards principal each month. Um, so eventually, you know, you will be paying down more of that balance. Another feature that's sort of tied to interest-only uh, payments or interest-only loans are balloon payments, um, which obviously naturally come if, if you're paying interest for you know, 10 years of a 15-year mortgage, um, you're not actually paying the balance off. So a balloon payment is when you get to the end of the mortgage and there's a significant sum of money still due. So it, it, you know, in the example I just gave where there's a 15-year mortgage and 10 years are interest-only payments, um, the balloon payment at the end of the 15 years is going to be really almost the whole balance of the loan that you borrowed. And so the way balloon payments work is, you know, at that entire amount comes due in the fifth, you know, after the 15 years of your, of your loan. So really they're set up where you almost have to just refinance again and take out another loan again. And again, that depends on, you know, how good your credit is and, you know, all these, you know, how, what the interest rates are, all these other factors. Um, those loans are really not set up to actually be paid off unless you're, you know, separately setting aside the money, you know, to, to pay off the whole balance of, of the loan that you took out, um, which is usually not, not the case. And to go off of just a real quick question about the balloon payment. So is that something too, that would be in the paperwork when people go to sign or they get their, their, you know, their closing documents, um, for a house, like would they, is, is it spelled out, I guess, somewhere for them? Yes, that's why, um, I mean, you, you sign the mortgage and the note and it is spelled out in those documents. Um, and so it is, you know, that's why it's, it's so important to read what's in front of you and, and read it carefully and ask questions if, if you're not understanding something or if something um, just doesn't seem quite right. Because obviously a lot of people sign into those loans and just don't understand how much of a balloon payment is going to be due at the end. Yeah, and I should say, when I say, is it plain to see, that doesn't actually sometimes mean it's plain to see, but like that they legally yeah. have to be somewhere in your paperwork. Yeah, it, it is there. I mean, it, it will set out, um, you know, the, the term of the loan, it will set out the payments and, um, you know, it, it, it should set out that the remainder of the loan is going to be due you know, in that last month. Another type of predatory loan is a negative amortization loan. Um, and this kind of loan is, is especially, you know, enticing because um, the payments in, initially at the beginning of the loan will be lower. But the reason that they're lower is because they are not even covering the whole portion of interest. And so each month there is some, some portion of the accruing interest that's, that's not covered by the payment that gets put onto the balance of the loan. So in those loans, you actually see, even though you're making the scheduled payments on time, you actually see the balance of your loan increasing as you're making the payments. So it's something to be aware of. 
And then another predatory practice uh, that really we're seeing pretty frequently um, in the, the APLD is repeated refinances. I mean, a lot of people are obviously refinancing now with the interest rates as low as, as they are, but there's you know, often a problem where people are sort of enticed or um, encouraged to refinance again year after year, you know, uh, multiple times. And you have to pay close attention to the points and the fees and the, the costs, the origination fees, the closing costs that you're paying each time, because if those are getting rolled into the, the loan, then your balance is probably going, you know, up each time that you refinance. And so it's just something to be careful and be aware of, because that, that's not going to help you, you know, pay off your loan long term. And then one other predatory practice is offering high, uh, high points and fees. You can pay discount points to buy down an interest rate, um, but you have to be really careful if you do that because um, you want to make sure that you're actually getting the rate that you promised, that they're, that they're you know, giving you what you pay for, basically. Um, and that can be difficult to uh, determine and you know, it's just another area that you could be taken advantage of. Um, and prepayment penalties used to be a predatory practice. Um, we're not seeing it very much anymore because uh, there are federal re regulations now that limit pre prepayment penalties. So yeah, that's, that's one area that has gotten better. Well, that's good. And uh, thanks for breaking all of that down, Katie. Uh, there's obviously a lot of different types of predatory lending practices out there. Do do you know if these lenders target certain people for mortgage predatory lending? Do they look for certain things in a borrower that are more likely to have them like help help take advantage of them? Uh, yeah, I think lower income people could are are most vulnerable to predatory lending practices because a lot of these types of loans will offer you a lower payment upfront, and so if you're um, in a place where you're struggling, you know and you know, someone's able to offer you a refinance that that's going to save you a little bit each month. It's more enticing, uh, you know, to someone who might be struggling financially. And then the lenders are, are going to take advantage of that and not be forthcoming about the fact that there's, you know, a balloon payment that's going to be due or that the interest rate's going to adjust or that those a, a number of payments are going to be for interest only for, you know, several years. So definitely lower income people are at risk. Elderly people, I think, are also at, at risk of being taken advantage of because um, they're just not in a position of um, or, or may not be in a position of having you know, equal bargaining power with the lender and definitely non-native English speakers as well. Um, I mean, I think we all know how long um, and complicated you know, the documents are when you're signing a, a mortgage loan or something like that. And for someone who doesn't uh, speak English fluently or you know, who struggles with it, um, it's especially difficult and you you have, they're, they're relying especially on the, the lenders to explain it to them. And um, that just puts them at risk of being taken advantage of. I also imagine that it's difficult if you are in a low income and non-native English speaking to even be able to afford a lawyer for yourself to explain the documents to you, especially finding a bilingual one, even if you could afford a lawyer. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, if you meet more of those boxes, if you're low income and elderly and non-native English speaker, then obviously you're so much more at risk of being taken advantage of. So how prevalent of a problem do you think predatory lending is? So this is 
this is interesting because a lot of people uh, seem to say that there, there aren't predatory mortgage loans anymore, that this is you know, a thing of the past. But with the APLD, with the Anti-Predatory Lending Database, we have a lot of data on what mortgage loans are being offered, at least in the four counties that are, are covered by the APLD. And that shows that there are actually still a significant number of mortgage loans being offered. Um, so we still very important to, to be aware of this um, and watch out for it. So back in 2008, there was an unprecedented foreclosure crisis. Uh, one in 54 households in America received a foreclosure notice and millions of Americans you know, fell behind on their mortgages. So many lost you know, equity in their home. And a lot of sources attribute predatory mortgage loans to being a significant cause of that crisis. And so after that crisis, there were um, some, some tighter uh, regulations put in place uh, to address the problem. And that's why, like I said, with, with pre prepayment penalties, we don't see those kinds of uh, loans as much anymore because of the regulations that are put in place. Um, and so a lot of people think that because of the, the new regulations that uh, predatory loans are not a problem anymore. But like I said, the, the APLD gives us data that shows that we should still be concerned about them. So in the last report that, that we ran with the data that we have, um, it showed that just in four counties in Illinois, um, there were almost 800 mortgage loan applications just over the last six months where the mortgages had predatory features. And that included interest only payments, adjustable rates, um, negative amortization and high points and fees. In addition to that, we're seeing a lot of repeated refinances in the APLD. And we're seeing just a, a very large increase in, in mortgage activity in general in the APLD. You know, now with the low interest rates uh, that have you know, taken place this, this year, but you know, even before that, there was um, you know, a pretty significant increase in, in mortgage activity that we could see in the APLD. And so there's, that just shows that there's a lot of people um, you know, that could be vulnerable to predatory lending practices right now. And it's, um, it still is a significant problem. So if we were to extrapolate, like you're only looking at four counties and there were 800 mortgages in the past six months with predatory lending features. How, if, if you were to guesstimate, how prevalent do you think it might be based on that data across the state of Illinois? I think it could definitely be prevalent because um, that, like I said, that's just in four counties in Illinois. And it is the four of the most populated counties, um, okay. but still it's four counties across the whole state. But also that's the number of predatory mortgage loan applications offered, even with the anti-predatory lending database in place in those counties. We're seeing that there are more potentially predatory mortgage loans that, that, we're going, that, that are basically being deterred because of the APLD. So I, I, I definitely think that there could be even more mortgage loans, or at least uh, you know, higher rates of predatory mortgage loans being offered in the counties that are not subject to the APLD right now. That makes sense. It's very scary. So, yeah. So we keep talking about the APLD um, and we know that you run it, but can you um, explain a little bit more about the APLD? I know that Illinois is very unique by having this database. So can you kind of tell us what it is, how it came to be? Sure. So there's an Illinois law that, that uh, put the APLD in place and it went into effect in 2008 for Cook County. And then in 2008, in 2010, it was expanded to Kane, Peoria and Will counties. Um, and it still just covers those four counties in Illinois. 
But what it does is it requires state regulated mortgage lenders to input data on every single loan application that they take that's for a residential mortgage loan um, within those four counties. And then the APLD screens that data uh, for five different high cost triggers. And if any of those high cost triggers are met and the borrower is either refinancing or is a first time home buyer, um, then the loan cannot proceed to closing until the borrower obtains housing counseling to, you know, to make sure that the borrower is, is being informed of the terms that are in the loan. Well, that all sounds like really good measures to, to prevent this type of lending. Um, what type of loan entered into the database raises concerns or, or triggers APLD actions? Uh, so there are five triggers. One is whether the points and fees are above 5% of the loan balance. Uh, the second is whether there are negative amortization payments. The third is whether there are interest only payments. The fourth is whether there's an adjustable rate that adjusts within the first three years of the loan. Um, and then the fifth trigger is uh, prepayment penalties, uh, which like I said, is not as common anymore. So if one of these triggers occurs, what happens next? So the originator or broker that's you know, entered the information into the database will get a notification from the database that uh, the, the loan has to go to housing counseling. And the Illinois law uh, provides that the, the originator and broker are prohibited from moving forward with the loan until the borrower obtains housing counseling. So there are a number of HUD approved housing counselors you know, across the state. They're all aware of the anti-predatory lending database. And so the, the borrower is required to go to one of them um, and you know, set up a session, meet with, with one of them before uh, they can close on the loan. And actually the uh, Illinois law also requires the originators and brokers to be paying for the housing counseling so that it's free for the borrower. Just to follow up with that about that, the HUD counseling, because I'm not, just to make sure our, our listeners know, um, HUD is a federal agency, correct? So these housing counselors offer, they'll go through all the, the documents and everything with them. And like you said, that, that part is free of charge, but if you would happen to, let's say you just need, you know, some help, maybe not related to, to APLD specifically, but is HUD available for, for people to use as a resource in general, maybe not tied just to this? Yeah, I think that the, the different housing counselors have, you know, different, you know, workshops and programs and, you know, counseling sessions that are available to anyone who's learned, you know, wants to be more educated um, on the process of home buying. And so to look into that, I would go to the, the HUD website, um, www.hud.gov. And then I think there's a link on there where you can search for housing counselors in your area. And I would, I would definitely recommend, you know, reaching out to uh, the housing counselors in your area to ask, you know, what services are available. The non-APLD services may, may not be completely free, um, but you would have to check with uh, the, you know, the HUD counselor, you know, closest to you to, to find out exactly what's available and, um, you know, what the charges would be. Since we're using a lot of acronyms for anyone that's not aware, HUD stands for the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which is a, gov a federal government organization that helps specifically with housing and urban development. So if, if you aren't familiar with HUD, that's what it is. Yes. And, and just to, to reiterate again, what Katie was talking about, if your loan triggers the APLD, 
your your HUD counseling will be free, but HUD also may have other programs or classes or services that you may be interested in. So you may want to check it out, but that those may have a fee associated. Just wanted to reiterate that again for our, for our listeners. So Katie, now that we understand a little bit more about the APLD, how do you feel or how does the APLD help with the problem of predatory lending in Illinois? Uh, there's a couple of ways, I think. There's um, So there's sort of like the stated goal, and then there's, I think, the the, the maybe unanticipated ways that we've seen it help. The stated goal, you know, was definitely to ensure that borrowers are at least getting help to understand the terms of the loans uh, that are presented to them, you know, before they sign the loan. It's still the borrower's decision whether to sign a mortgage loan, you know, whether you want to sign an adjustable rate loan or an, an interest-only loan, you know, it's completely up to you. But at least with the APLD, um, borrowers are getting housing counseling first, so they're at, at least less likely to be taken advantage of. So that's the first way that it's helping. But I think you know, what we've seen is that the APLD has successfully deterred thousands of predatory mortgage loans. Um, our most recent semi-annual report showed that there were more than 2,100 loan applications, again, just within these four counties that are covered, um, where the, the broker or originator changed the terms of the loan after initially taking the application and inputting it in the APLD because they, you know, the originator received a notice that one of the triggers was met. So I think that the brokers or originators are, are, are often, you know, at least 2,000 times over six months, you know, getting notice that their borrower has to go to mandatory housing counseling and deciding that they would rather just change the terms and, um, you know, make them maybe more favorable to the borrower. So it's deterring a lot of loans that way. Uh, also, a lot of the borrowers that are you know, getting notified that they need to go to housing counseling to close on the loan, they don't actually end up moving forward with the loan. I think that some of them you know, are going to different lenders and, and finding you know, a letter that's going to offer them better terms. So that's just another way that uh, these predatory mortgage loans are getting deterred by the, by the APLD. And then kind of a third way that the APLD is helping um, is that it's giving us really good data on what types of mortgage products are being offered so that we can understand, you know, better predatory lending in our, in our state and, you know, better understand how to address it. Um, I mean, the APLD is, you know, how we have information showing that predatory mortgage loans are still being offered, um, you know, again, with, you know, 800 mortgage loan applications over a period of six months, just within four counties, that's showing us, you know, um, what types of mortgages to watch out for. And, you know, it's allowing us to, to just track you know, the problem. I was going to say, it seems like uh, it would be a difficult situation for an originer maybe to explain why someone needs to go to counseling. You know, like if they go to the borrower, say like, hey, we had this all set up, but we actually, you actually have to go to counseling now. That seems like a tricky spot if they're just trying to get the sale, but that's all, that's all great. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's why we're seeing, you know, a number of a, a large number of loans where the, the originators are just changing the terms to, to not have to meet that counseling trigger. Yeah, absolutely. It, it also sounds like it provides an opportunity to educate the lenders a little bit on predatory things. They may, they may not understand because mm -hmm. they're, they're trained by the, the, the brokers over them. Mm -hmm. And they just may not ask questions themselves. So I imagine that might be a component of combating this as well. Yeah, definitely. So 
since we're in COVID, this is COVID times, uh, is there anything new that you're seeing or hearing through the database or other sources when it comes to predatory mortgage lending? Yeah, uh, so there, there's, a, there's a couple of things. I mean, there has been just a lot going on with the mortgage market lately that we're, we're trying to stay on top of. So one thing that you're probably aware of is that with the pandemic, mortgage rates dropped to historically low rates. Um, and that's caused the mortgage lending activity to further skyrocket so that, you know, the APLD is showing us that it's at like historically high levels right now. Our, our most recent semi-annual report showed the highest number of mortgage loan applications in the entire, you know, 12-year history of the APLD since, since 2008. And that was a trend that started before uh, COVID, actually. I mean, the, the, our last year's, you know, semi-annual report, which was like pre-COVID, already had really high amounts of mortgage loan activity. But then with the drop in interest rate, it just completely skyrocketed. I have a question so with, with yeah. that. Are you seeing more individual consumers shop around and that's how there's more database entries? Or do you just think generally more people are shop just looking for houses? Yeah, I don't and I. I guess I don't have enough data to see if it's people shopping around or if it's just, I mean, I, or if it's just more people um, refinancing and looking for houses. Um, okay. There, there are a, a much larger number of refinance applications than um, first time home buyers. I think both of them increased significantly um, this year, but refinances, you know, um, are just even more prevalent. So I, I think it's just a larger number of people entering into another mortgage loan right now. Um, but I guess I don't, I don't know exactly how much is people shopping around. It makes sense though. Both, both cases yeah. make sense. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is even, I mean, with, with that increase, I mean, you would think that maybe with low interest rates, there would be less predatory mortgage loans being offered, but the number of predatory mortgage loans being offered also increased uh, in our last semi-annual reports. Like I said, more than eight or up, about 800, uh, almost 800 um, mortgage loans over the past six months in those four counties, you know, had predatory features. Um, and that's, I think, the highest number of predatory mortgage loans offered that we've seen in nine years since 2011. So mm -hmm. even with the low rates, you know, predatory mortgage loans are, are still being offered and, you know, borrowers still need to watch out for them. But another thing with the pandemic that uh, we were trying to stay on top of is that, you know, as a lot of people probably have heard or would have guessed, there's a lot of mortgage borrowers who have had to go into forbearance plans because they've been affected by COVID-19. They've, you know, lost their jobs, you know, things like that, and they're not able to afford their mortgage payments. Um, I think the most recent estimate that I saw said something like 6.8% of mortgage borrowers across our country are in forbearance plans now. And before the pandemic, that was like 0.25%. So it's a lot of people that are sort of in a vulnerable place right now where they're in forbearance on their mortgage. Um, eventually that forbearance period is going to end and they're going to have to deal with that for, you know, foreborn amount, the, the, the payments that they missed. And while there's federal guidance uh, from HUD and you know, other federal agencies um, you know, that try to set forth guidance at least of how that should be treated and, you know, making sure that the borrowers shouldn't have to pay all of those payments at once, you know, in a year, whenever it is uh, that they're, the forbearance is done. It still just leaves a lot of borrowers 
vulnerable. Not not every government, not every mortgage is, is government backed. Um, I think only two thirds of mortgages are government backed. So that third that's not government backed doesn't have any guidance from the federal government as far as how the, the forbearance should be treated. So it leaves a lot of mortgage borrowers in a very vulnerable place where they could be taken advantage of. And um, the APLD is going to give us an opportunity to, to sort of track what's happening through uh, you know, this crisis, really, um, as the forbearances start to end. I mean, we'll be able to see if a lot of people are being offered you know, predatory refinance products or things like that to, to get them out of forbearance. How can you tell if your mortgage is federally backed? Uh, well, if it's federally backed, it's um, likely either a Fannie Mae or a Freddie Mac mortgage. If you go to the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac websites, they have like a search tool where I think it asks, uh, it might ask for your social security number and definitely your property address. And they, those, those uh, websites are designed to tell you if it's a Fannie or Freddie mortgage. If it's an FHA mortgage, it should say that on your mortgage itself. Um, but otherwise you can call, you know, call your servicer and ask, they should be able to tell you as well. Well, so last week we actually talked about specific COVID-19 um, fraud that's been happening. So it's very interesting to also hear you say that there's been this jump with in the numbers with predatory lending as well. So for people who are out there thinking about buying a house or refinancing their house, as you said, right now with the historic low rates, I know a lot of people are thinking of doing one of those two things. Um, what should they be on the lookout for to make sure they don't fall victim to predatory lending practices? I mean, a couple of things. Uh, definitely, you know, know what the market interest rate is. Find that out. I think the, the easiest way is maybe the Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae website. Know what that interest rate is. If your credit is not great, you probably won't get that rate. You might be a little bit higher than that. But if it's significantly higher than that, you know, I think that that should raise a red flag. And also look at your loan estimate closely. Um, to see all the different fees and costs. Um, I think that especially with, you know, refinances right now, um, it, it, that's an area where we could, you know, borrowers could get taken advantage of, you know, lenders, you know, could, could be tacking on different fees and costs there that uh, may not be warranted. So look at those fees and costs and ask questions if something doesn't make sense. Get different estimates from different mortgage lenders to compare. And then if you agree to anything other than a fixed rate mortgage, you know, if you agree to something where your rate's going to adjust, just make sure that you understand when your payment is going to change and how much it could change by. Um, in a good way, you know, to, to look at that again is, I mean, if it's a fixed rate loan, you know, ask for or look at the amortization schedule and that will tell you exactly, you know, how much you're going to be paying each month and, and give you an idea of, you know, what it's going to look like for you to take off, pay down the mortgage. And if, if someone thinks they may be dealing with a predatory lender, is there anything they can do or anywhere they can go for help? Uh, well, if you haven't agreed to the loan you know, yet, I would, I would definitely recommend just um, reaching out to other lenders to get estimates from them as well. You know, um, just comparing different loan products across different lenders, you know, you'll get, you'll get a, a better idea of, of what your options are. So don't take the first uh, you know, offer that, that comes to you maybe. Um, but also we've, we've talked about the how to approved housing counselors. Um, and again, you can find the list of them online at www.hudhud.gov. Reach out to them, see what kind of, you know, workshops or classes or counseling they have available to make sure that you're, you know, 
making the right decisions through the home buying or refinancing process. And then again, if you do see something really egregious, if if you're you know pretty certain that there there may have been you know a, a violation of the law or a violation of a regulation, you can always file a complaint with our department as well. Um, and you can get the complaint form on our website, which is www.idfpr.com. So if there is just one thing you'd like people to know about predatory lending, what would it be? I think just if you sense that something may not be right about what's being offered to you, you know, don't sign it. Um, stop and get help. You know, Talk to a housing counselor, talk to someone you trust, or just, like I said, get, get different offers from different lenders to, to compare. Um, don't let yourself be, be pressured into something, especially if, if, if there's something about it that just doesn't seem quite right. Well, we just want to um, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today, Katie. Um, you are great. And it's a confusing, it's both confusing and important topic to talk about. So it definitely helps to have an expert here to, to be able to explain it to our listeners, but also to us as well. Yes. Thank you so much, Katie, for coming on. Uh, with the holiday season approaching, our next episode will focus on some holiday savings tips and how to set financial goals for the new year. Make sure to share this podcast with your family and friends and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play.